This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. KXNO Des Moines. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios, this is 1460 KXNO. Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, final hour. Uh, we're only here for 15 minutes tomorrow, and the reason I bring that up is a lot of folks uh, love Cappy joining our show on Wednesday. Cappy, uh, who will be at the winter meetings next week in San Diego when Trent gets a hold of him. Uh, with the Addison Russell news, I know the Cubs fans are kind of curious about their team, and Cappy's as tuned in as anybody to it. But we will push Cappy until Thursday this week. Of course, Cappy brought to us by our friends at Centurion Stone of Iowa, Centurion Stone of Iowa.com. Trent, I never brought it up with Doc, and it was, you know, I don't want to bring it up necessarily at this point. But there's a name uh, that I think Hawkeye fans must be at least rolling around a little bit in their mind, pursuant to the transfer portal. Okay. And that guy's Oliver Martin. Um, and, and I don't know his place on this team. I mm-hmm. mean, we've heard some good things throughout the year. But Trent, where's he going to where's he going to see balls come his way? And 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 if they throw the ball to him, they're going to be doing so at Smith Marset or Tracy or Reganey or Smith's expense. These are four good players in front of them. They played at you a high level. You hit the nail on the head with that. That's why I thought this Iowa team was going to be eh, seven well, and five. Uh, if you're going to be patting me on the back, uh, who had Iowa nine and three this year? Oh, you did. Who had Iowa State seven and five this year? You did. Yeah, back to back. I, I was just giving you some love. Maybe yeah, you didn't see yeah, that, but, yeah. but I, I know. I well, I just I continued it. Um, but back. <laughs> These these guys, there's four players ahead of him on the depth chart right now. And here's the problem with that for Oliver Martin. You go in the transfer portal, you've already got a waiver to be mm-hmm. eligible this year. You're not getting that again, no. You've already redshirted. He redshirted mm-hmm. his freshman year at Michigan. There's no redshirt year available. So he would be transferring somewhere to sit out next season uh-huh. and then play one year right. after that one final season or... He can make the decision to transfer down Mm -hmm. if he would go to the FCS level. If he would go to Northern Iowa, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, you know, an FCS program, then he would be eligible right away. He's back home. And this was important to be back Uh close to his family. Was it the right decision? For him, it very well could have been. Mm -hmm. For football, I don't think it has been. No, not at all. For football, it hasn't. Now, there are also Michigan people that will tell you. Yes, during the spring he was listed at the top. But there well, Harbaugh also, said as much in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days. But he was there surprised were injuries too. I get it. And there were the writing very well could have been at the wall at Michigan. Also, mm-hmm. he might have made the wrong choice Look, for football. He, and and he could. 
I don't think anybody envisioned this wide receiver group to be as good as it was. I thought it was going to be improved. I thought it would be solid. I thought it was pedestrian. It's taken a big step forward, certainly. Massive. I think even the most optimistic fan of the wide receiver group this year it was a step forward from that. Well, Regani got some buzz in in, uh, in spring football last year. Well, we've seen a lot of guys get buzzed. Absolutely. Devontae Young got a ton of buzz. Yes, he did. Uh, August superstar. He was. Tracy, not a lot of buzz about him at any point, but he's been terrific. Mm-hmm. Now, he still has a couple too many drops for... He does. Uh, but, but again, he's young. He's a freshman. Right. Smith-Marset. I think he's got a decision. Doc didn't. I, I think he's got a decision to make. Well, a decision... Or to, to put his name in, he may as well kick the tires. Well, yeah, yeah. But is it going to be a real decision? I mean, wide receivers are a time. I, I, I totally agree with you. He's not, he's not Judy. And, and if it's... Well, you'll probably be a fifth or sixth rounder. Mm-hmm. But he's got that kick return ability. He's got that speed. I'm with you, Trent. I do think, though, he has far surpassed, certainly mine, and I think most people's expectations of what this year was going to turn out for him. Because you knew the speed was there, the kick yes. return. That's always been there. Go back to his freshman year. There are times it was painful watching mm-hmm. him try to catch the football. It's like it was eating him up so many different times. And he'd make the spectacular grab. But much like we talk about Tyrone Tracy, the drops were immense. And just fighting the ball as it was getting to him. He's smooth out there now. Oh, I'll say. He's come a long way. No doubt. Copeland deserves a lot of credit. He does. This was a much maligned position. Bobby Kennedy, the former wide receiver coach, was an unmitigated disaster for a myriad of different reasons, not just as a wide receiver coach, but recruiting and Eno Benjamin down at Arizona State Hmm. and on and on and on there. He's done a really nice job with this group. And talking about guys, you know, that maybe you wonder what would be next for a guy like that who started in the MAC, was a MAC wide receiver. Has moved to Iowa and made their wide receiver group. Do you think there's going to be maybe a bigger program calling his name? Perhaps. I think it would certainly be something. He's done a nice job with this that's group. That's another Trent. part. Yep. He's and when you really win nine nice games, job. that's going to be mm-hmm. a piece too. People are going to be looking at attention. you. Yeah. Uh, they've got the uh, the tight end, the heir apparent there in Laporta. Looks mm-hmm. like he could be any kind of player. Buyer finally healthy and yeah. flashes. Maybe yeah, now next season bit. could be consistency in his like senior Laporta year. Better, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more upside, certainly, there. But Byers a guy that they've always been excited about. He just never could stay healthy. Mm-hmm. This offense has a chance to be good next year. Well, and if it's just a pretty big question mark, though. Is there? Well, I don't know enough about him. Has Iowa ever had a bad first-year starting quarterback in the Ferris era? Well, the answer's no. The answer's no. Nobody's been bad in their first year as so, a starter. So is he do? Even Jake Christensen. <laughs> so is he do? Jake Christensen is Jake bad Christensen as, went backwards, yes. He was better in the beginning. Yeah, his I first agree. year, he threw 17 mm-hmm. touchdowns mm-hmm. and six picks. Now, the problem is his completion percentage is like 54%. Right. But, but we don't know for sure. I we mean, don't know for sure, but 20 years, benefit of the doubt, okay. that they'll at least be fine there. They'll be adequate at the very least. Mm-hmm. But you have to admit, that's a question mark. Because I think the line's going to be good. Is Alert Jackson... Gone. I think we both agree Worfs. I think Worfs is coming back. I think You senior, do. You believe that? Here's why I think he here's why I think he's it's killing him. Senior day. He was in tears watching the Paulsons go through this. You know I truly believe he wants this experience. But there's gonna be a lot of C notes that can cover up those tears. I get you, but that they'll, they'll be there next year, you would think. Um 
I, I think he's got more of a decision than most. No, I'm not saying he's coming back, but I'm saying his decision is going to be more difficult, certainly than we thought in July. It was a foregone conclusion. And the two offensive linemen that had this kind of decision and came back made themselves money. Mm-hmm. Robert Gallery yep. could have gone. He would have yep. been a mid to probably in the 20s first round pick after he went his junior. two overall. Went number two overall. Brandon Sheriff, yep. again, went late five first rounder. Overall, right? Four or five, five. Yeah, five, I think, yeah, to, to Washington. Uh-huh. Those guys made themselves a lot of money. Gallery turned into a really good guard at the end of his career. Right, and Scherf is one of the best. He, yeah, absolutely. It wasn't his fault. He was, you know, picked two overall. Yes, yeah. He if, was not a good left tackle. Well, if he was picked second and the Raiders said, this guy's going to be a great guard and they would have plugged him there, we would be having such a different conversation about mm-hmm. Robert Gallery. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'd be Marshall Yonda like, who no. might be a pro football Hall of Famer, but we'd be talking about a guy that was a perennial Pro Bowl player. Not the case of tackle. Couldn't do it. Wasn't good enough for it. He was good enough to be that guard, though. Zuba Mahante joins the program next. Trent and I take you until noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Con in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. About 25 minutes, we'll talk to... Our next guest's former boss, John oh, Walters. Yes. Absolutely. Channel 5. It's the ABC pow- 5 Power Hour. <laughs> it is. Indeed. Zubin, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on, Zubin. How are you? I'm great. Tell him I said hi. Zubin. Absolutely will. Uh, Zubin, I, I started, uh, we started the uh, first segment of the program talking about this. Trent hadn't seen it yet. I, I watched it yesterday. I'm going to bring it up again because I thought it was terrific. And I'm talking about Katie Nolan, Maria Taylor, and Judy Foudy, and Carrie Champion, and Sarah Spain. What are we going to do to ruin sports for men today video? That little vignette. Have you seen it, Zubin? It is brilliantly done. Yeah, it's sort of one of those things where I give them a lot of credit in the sense of that if that's done in another way, it could come off differently. It's sort of like when you watch the late night shows and you see these celebrities read the mean tweets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really wonder exactly what direction that's going to go if something so objectionable would come out that they've got to recite. And everybody there does it in good humor and in good faith. And I think this is one of those things where on the surface you say, oh boy, this is kind of a touchy little subject. (laughs) How do we dance around this? But I think they hit just the right note while doing it. It is causing, you know, a a lot of attention. There's a big viral storm about it. And that's kind of how today's gauge of uh, success is, right? I mean, back in the day, we would look at ratings, we would look at interest. Now it's just, does your video go viral? If it goes viral, it's a hit. If it doesn't, it wasn't. Let's go back to the drawing board. But I think you're constantly seeing the envelope pushed more and more and more. And I also think that it's decent for, I think, a lot of people to think about watching something like that and seeing the way their attitude shifts. You know, I would just tell you this, you know, they tell us this all the time on television. If I wear the same suit 30 days in a row, (laughs) you would never notice. If I just put on a black suit or a blue suit, maybe if I changed my tie, you would notice. But if I just wore a regular suit, you would notice. If I cut my hair a half an inch, you would never notice. But if a woman cuts her hair a half an inch or wears it in a different style, they're objectified in a way that Mm -hmm. men never are. So this, I had no idea this was coming. I've seen it in other genres like network television and entertainment. 
And it certainly caused a stir. So ESPN Plus, that's where Katie Nolan started when she was hired, what, about two years ago at ESPN. We were talking a little bit earlier about Chris Hassel and, of course, his immense talents just outside of the anchor desk and what he can do. Are you guys being given more flexibility, brainstorming ideas, different things that you can do with a different venue now with ESPN Plus and, and try to find something different to put up there? I think with ESPN Plus, the biggest thing, it's just there's infinite room, right? So mm-hmm. if I end up doing an NCAA tournament breakdown, let's just say it's more serious in nature than, let's say, something that, you know, humorous that Chris would do or these ladies did. If we do an NCAA tournament breakdown with Jay Billis, it could go 50 minutes on the entire bracket. I believe last year he went 50 minutes <laughs> without a commercial, uninterrupted, as we just went from the first round, the second, to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four, and the championship. Obviously, there's no room for anything like that on regular linear television because of breaks, and it wasn't very highly produced. There wasn't a lot of graphics or video or crazy things to keep your attention, eye candy, as we call it. But on ESPN+, Plus, room is never an issue. When we do our hockey program, if we want to do every single game and do as many highlights and show every single goal, if we want to do it, we could do it. I think the other thing about ESPN+, Plus too, is that as you guys know, and we've discussed this before, that's kind of where the industry is heading. I think there's been some reports in the in the press that they're looking for a direct-to-consumer, which is a euphemism for ESPN+. Plus. You know, they're looking for a opportunity for Stephen A. Uh, Smith on there, who is strategically on a lot of sports centers. First take, he has his own radio shows. You guys know that's going away next year. But at the end of the day, uh, the focus on the future of the company, whether it's Disney Plus or Netflix and all these places, is direct-to-consumer. It's the streaming angle. So they're looking at it for younger people like Katie, older people like Stephen A. Um, it's probably where everyone is going to be at some point, sooner rather than later, you would think. So I think that's the biggest thing for ESPN+. Plus. It allows us to have as much room as possible, and it also allows us to give uh, our talent, maybe that's something that wouldn't ordinarily work on ESPN or ESPN2 that's still game-centric, an outlet to go somewhere, knowing that's probably the future anyway. Zubin Mahente from ESPN is our guest. Zubin, let's go to uh, championship weekend college football. They're going to crown some conference champions. I think the Big Ten's going to be a blowout. I'm not alone. I'm, I, we all know the ACC's going to be uh, <laughs> so that if they could uh, throw in the towel after the first quarter, I think they would. Uh, but of the other three, the SEC, the Big 12, uh, and the Pac-12 on Friday night on ABC, which of those three has the chance to be the I mean, the, the most competitive game to provide us with an upset, perhaps. Which of those three, Big 12, Pac-12, or the SEC? Man, I'm going to lean Pac-12. I saw what happened, obviously, with Oklahoma and Baylor with the 28-3 and the rally. I do believe on a neutral field, I do believe Oklahoma is better at nearly every spot. So I think they're going to be in good shape, even though, obviously, the previous matchup seems to indicate that Baylor can hang with them. Um, I just think for the Pac-12, Utah is just right now in a situation where I just think the casual fan that's finally getting ready for tonight and then obviously Sunday afternoon, I'm not sure they could name a single player on Utah, the casual fan. I think if they get in, they would also be probably the most defensive-centric team of the four if we consider we know who the quote-unquote, let's just say, top three are. I think they would be the most interesting in terms of they would be a throwback, they would be on alternatives. They would have won a dozen in a row. And obviously this has been a bizarre week for the Pac-12, even by their standards. But this would just be gigantic for the league if they could somehow win this game, whether it's close to your pronunciation, Ken, whether it's going to be close or whether it's a blowout. If they can just somehow get in, 
I really think a lot of the bashing this league has taken over the last couple of years can be mitigated because I think their defense is salty enough to hang in any game. I mean, I don't know what Huntley and Moss are going to be able to do. Is that as electric as Lawrence and Etienne or mm. Burrow and Clyde Edwards-Delaire? I, I don't know. But I do think it would be great for the Pac-12 to get in. And it would actually, you know, depending on where Washington is and depending on what USC can do with their next coach, wherever that might be, and, you know, Chip Kelly's failing and Herm made some changes and someone got a vote of confidence, a dreaded vote of confidence. You need a big-time program out west to pair with Oregon. And everybody thought it would be Washington and Oregon if USC can't get it going. But maybe it's Utah and Oregon. I just think it would be great for West Coast football in general because that guy can absolutely coach, and he's proven. So one question for you. Oregon beats Utah. Oklahoma goes down to Baylor. Is it as cut and dry as Baylor's just that fourth team? Or is there still a window of opportunity LSU for— LSU beats Georgia? Yeah, LSU okay. beats Georgia, but maybe a two-loss Georgia team. It's a tight game that comes down to the wire. Two-loss Georgia over one-loss Baylor. Is it cut and dry? Baylor at 12-1, and one, they're in with the other dominoes that I mentioned. With that non-con? Oof. I would say definitely not a slam dunk. And I do agree with what Ken said. It's just a matter of how I think the Georgia-LSU game plays out. Obviously, we've never had a two-loss team in the playoff, and if the first two-loss team comes from the SEC, you better get ready for another <laughs> epic round of grumbling. Never mind not having Alabama Clemson. Yeah. Now it's just going to be, right? So that, that aspect has to be there. Um, I just think for Baylor, I mean, again, I'd have to, I'd have to think about this. Um, but I would say if they were to get in, and I know this does not matter, you're looking at just this year, that would be by far, with all due respect, obviously Baylor would be a one-loss outright conference champion, which is hard to keep out of the playoff. I'm, I'm not saying anything about that. But I think you would universally have to agree that would be the worst team that's ever made the college football playoff in its six years. I mean, they would obviously end up at four, so they have every right to be like, remember Ohio State got it at four at the, number, at the first college football playoff. But I think objectively, if you just looked at their roster up and down, Ken's point the schedule, they would be the worst team that's ever made it in its six-year history. Again, I don't think that means anything. They would still have to vault a bunch of teams. Obviously, there could be some exclusion there. Teams could just fall, allow them to rise. But I do think a two-loss SEC team, if they were to lose a very close game, um, could be on the table. But I think that would then immediately, like I mentioned, be usurped about the fact that the first two-loss team came from the SEC. I think we're setting up for something pretty interesting Sunday at noon Eastern. Yeah, I'm with you, Zoom, and I can't wait. Stephen F. Austin, UT San Antonio, and Rice. That's Baylor's non-con uh, from Oof. this past year. That That is brutally bad, uh, no doubt about that. Zuba, what did you see last weekend uh, that may change your opinion regarding the best team in college football? Who do you think it is, and is it the same as you thought it was going into last weekend? You know, I'm still on the LSU bandwagon. I really am. I know, obviously, the committee has flip-flopped those two teams. You know, I was talking to Ryan Clark, who I work with on our NFL package on Sunday, and he said, now obviously he wasn't alive for like Billy Cannon or, you know, some of these mm. other amazing LSU legends from the 50s. But he said that he thinks Joe Burrow is going to go down as the greatest player in LSU history. Let's just call it my mm. And they're going to build a statue of him outside of the stadium. And this is even before he picks up the Heisman, which I'm sure he will, yep. and then participates in the playoff, whether it's one game or two. And I haven't had a chance to talk with our other guys. Booger went to LSU. Uh, Marcus Spears also went to LSU. Probably should have talked about it with Feinbaum yesterday, but we were still Alabama-centric. But I think there is something to be said. Tim was Tim Tebow was a great four-year player. Cade Manning was a great four-year player. 
And I'm not insinuating that Joe Burrow at two years is going to have the lasting impact uh, in the SEC that Manning had in Tennessee or Tim Tebow had at Florida, though he is going to match Tebow's Heisman, you would think. I mean, Tebow is a three-time finalist, though, so that's a little bit of a different story. But I do think if you say to me, can Joe Burrow be as impactful, not as legendary in the SEC, but can he be as impactful at LSU as Tim was at Florida, Tim Tebow, and Peyton Manning was at Tennessee, I think you could reasonably make that argument. Obviously, the totality is only be half the time of those two guys. But for the impact he made on their program, being able to close the gap for Ed Orgeron to be able to stand up Monday the week of the Alabama game, and for the first time ever he said, look his team in the eye and said, we're better than Alabama, and that's largely based upon who he had playing quarterback. He said he had never said that before. And on Monday of game week, he said, we're better. And I think everybody kind of knew. You saw Burrow go out there, complete his first 13 passes. He just wasn't afraid of the moment. So I think there's something to be said there. And that's why I kind of am going to lean LSU. Uh, Our guys that went there really believe he is the most impactful player to ever play there. And they've had some really, really great players over the years. Zubin Mahete joining us, ESPN. You see him on SportsCenter, and he joins us here on a Tuesday. Zubin, want to uh, jump over with the playoff and championship weekend. LSU can afford a loss. Ohio State can afford a loss. Probably not Clemson can afford a loss, but I think it was Dan Wilkin who uh, put it out yesterday. Wouldn't this weekend be better with actual quarterfinal matchups? One versus eight. Two versus seven on the way through. You look at those matchups, they'd be a lot more intriguing. You look at the matchups we've got the last couple of seasons, more important than championship weekend. With the construction of conferences, when we get a new deal for the college football playoff, how different do you think it's going to look? That's a good question. I, I like the way you phrased that. Everybody just seems to think it's a foregone conclusion that before the deal is up for the college football playoff's initial deal with ESPN and the CFP, that it's just going to go to eight, right? Mm-hmm. If we get some belly aching on Sunday, then immediately it's going to be a cause for concern, much like when Auburn was left out of the title game in 04, or we got Alabama and LSU in a title game for the rematch of the 9-6 game, that one of those spurred the playoff and one of them spurred and possibly an expansion of the playoff. In my opinion, I think we're at four until it's done. I know I'm in the vast minority. I'm with you, Zubin. That. Yeah, so maybe Ken and I are the lone two that are rolling with that. But I think we're going to stay at four. And then obviously when there's an expansion, if there is an expansion after the initial deal, I think we could see something move forward like Dan was saying in USA Today. But I would also say the one thing that I would most look forward to, besides the quarterfinal matchups, and obviously that would be great, um, but I think just seeing a college football playoff game on a home site that would get me more excited. Like, 1-8 would be cool, finally. We got eight in there, and we got a real playoff, and it's not just constricted to four teams. But to see number one run out of the tunnel in their home stadium to play a college football playoff game, and that obviously the fans don't have to pay to travel to that particular game. They may have to go to two more games the way it would be structured. But I just think a home-site CFP playoff game at some of these places would just be off the charts incredible. Hmm. Subban, who is the most underachieving team in college football this year? Well, that's a good question. I would say, you know, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, let's see, I will say, that's a really good question. Washington? Go, yeah, you know, I'm going to go with Texas because hmm. with the way it broke down at Washington with their five losses and the way it was all settled yesterday, 
something made me believe that this was in the works for a while. When they put that press release out yesterday saying, I'm stepping down, I'm 55, Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake is taking over, he's been the coach and waiting for a while, our recruiting isn't going to suffer, we're just going to roll on and make this seamless after the bowl game. That makes it seem like to me there was some level of internal discord earlier because normally if you have a 7-5 and five season and they underachieve, I think you have to just say you put the press release out tomorrow and say, we're starting a national search. Jimmy Lake is certainly in consideration. But it was just too neatly put together. And that leads me to believe that they were thinking about this for quite some time. So internally, I don't think they were too disappointed. Externally, they might have been. I think you got to go with Texas. I mean, both coordinators are out. you got to think about the fact that maybe Joe Brady could come over. I know Joe Brady, LSU's pass game coordinator, is making about $400,000 a year. Uh, the great thing for him is that no matter who pays him, both schools can afford it, whether it's right. LSU or Texas. So he's in a great spot. So I'm going to go with Texas just because of Ellinger's comments last year, obviously, the Sugar Bowl, that they're back. I guess they're back to being mediocre is the line everybody's using. But he fired both coordinators, didn't waste any time. His defensive coordinator, Ken Tide Orlando, had been with him since Houston. Mm. Uh, he had never fired really any coaches because, as you know, it's been sort of a charmed existence until he got to Texas. So I'm going to go with the horn because he had to make some drastic, massive moves that I don't think a lot of people anticipated. I agree with you. Washington had Jacob Eason coming in, celebrated, ready to go. But it, after the Cal game, you just sensed something was wrong. But even after Texas lost to LSU and Oklahoma Kent, I still think they had everything in front of them, and then it completely fell apart. So I'll, I'll lean Texas, but a strong number two would be Washington. Zubin, you are the most famous Rutgers alumni that I know. Uh, James Gandolfini, unfortunately, is no longer with it. With us, oh, did you know him? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We we would go way back. You didn't know I was an extra I on the Sopranos him. back in the day. Yeah, I was AJ's buddy. Uh, no, Zubin, you got a coach. You got Shiano back. Doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, where is the hope for that program? I think you just said his name. Well, I don't know if you. I don't know if you know this, Ken. When Trent couldn't pay his offshore gambling debt, that's when Tony <laughs> Soprano came in. Yes. That's how it happened. Okay. We're all even now. That's how we do it in Jersey. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 I look at it this way. Um, I was talking to a buddy last night. Greg Schiano has got to be the only coach I've ever heard of that didn't get a job because of a fan revolt and then got a job right. because of a fan revolt. Tennessee. Uh, he was kept... <laughs> Right? He yeah. stepped out with the balls. And, you know, that was very messy, although he did go on to work at Ohio State and the Pats, and they didn't seem to find anything wrong. But, you know, that was obviously a very high-profile miss for Tennessee and for Shiano. And Rutgers is really the only job that was banging down his door. Nobody else was calling him. And there was no other candidate that the fan base wanted other than him. So it was a very perfect fit. Nobody was calling him. This was the perfect job for him. He's the all-time winningest coach in school history with a 68-67 and 67 record, so let that sink in for a second. But I would also say they've had an 11-win season, which is something Iowa State has never had. So even though Iowa State seems on a better trajectory, every once in a while you might be able to point to something for Rutgers. They made it to number two in the country. The deal, think about this. As much as Matt Campbell, I know, got extended and all of that, think about if Kirk or Matt came in, or any coach came in, with an eight-year hmm. deal. That's how far behind they are. They are so far behind Maryland, it's impossible to even think about. And Maryland is easily the 13th worst team yes. in the Big Ten, and yeah. they can't even see Maryland. So an eight-year deal, $32 million. They don't have a football-only practice facility. Um, they're just behind the times and some of the things that the regular run-of-the-mill schools in the Big Ten have. Um, I don't know whether this can work, but I think this is something that would unite the fan base. Donations will be up. People will buy tickets. 
They just need a little bit of momentum. Uh, they have, I think they have a 21-game Big Ten losing streak. All of these things have to stop, and whether Siano can do it or not is up for grabs, but I certainly think he is in better position to do it than anyone out there. And if you're in any industry and you identify your top candidate, we have to have him or her. We just have to have him or her. You go and get it because, Ken, if they strike out with Shiano or mm. somebody they would have hired in place of Shiano, I just can't, I can't even fathom how much of an afterthought and embarrassment they would be. I think this is their last gasp. They're grabbing at the emergency rope, hung out of the ladder, and saying, we've got to be more competitive. We've got to do something. And he's probably the only guy that can actually walk around and say, I've done it. You know, Zumi, you just led me to a really good topic. Four, 14 is Rutgers, 13 is Maryland. Where's Nebraska? They're double digits. Think about that. They totally are. They're in double and digits. I heard, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, what's going to end up hurting them, I heard Urban Meyer say this, and I know, Ken, you have a man crush. He's tremendous. Meyer, so I, will, I will mention this, and I think this is something that's obvious but is not stated that often. And that is simply, Urban Meyer said on Saturday, he was actually talking about when they asked him, what's the difference between Michigan and Ohio State? And Urban Meyer simply said, college football begins and ends with recruiting. Mm -hmm. End of story. Yes, he's developed great guys. But that's where it's at with Nebraska. And at the end of the day, it's a cold-weather school in an isolated, remote spot. You're not going to go and get Tommy Frazier from Bradenton, Florida, like they were able to do back in the... That's not happening anymore. And they certainly do have a, a recruiting base that you have a huge swath of guys with a walk-on program, but I certainly believe that when you're out in the Big Ten and you're a middling program and you're in the lesser division and it's a cold-weather school. Now, look, Brian Kelly has done a great job at the cold-weather school as well, but I just think some of the things that Nebraska is facing right now, some of their inherent disadvantages that they've been able to turn into advantages in the past are not there, and I think that's probably the biggest thing. Keep an eye on their recruiting rankings. It doesn't mean everything. It really doesn't. Chip Kelly never recruited particularly well while at Oregon. His scheme was just unbelievable. But it's one of those things where for Nebraska, and as Coach Meyer said, I mean, he knows how to navigate the Big Ten. I think it's pretty obvious. If you can't win in recruiting, you can't win. And I think he was speaking of Michigan in that incident that I happened in the over the weekend, but I think that probably applies to Nebraska, too. It is not as appealing to a lot of kids that are playing outdoors 24-7, 365 in the sunshine in California and Florida and all points in between. I just don't think making the trek up there is worth it. And obviously it stands to reason that a lot of these kids have no idea that the Knicks were good, Nebraska was good, Miami was good, Florida State was good. They fall into that jumble of teams that today's today student-athlete just has no idea what they've actually meant within the pantheon of their sport. Uh, Zuba Mahete from ESPN. Zubin, great stuff as always. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you, Zubin. You guys. Good to talk to you. Zuba Mahente from ESPN. John Walters discusses Matt Campbell's extension and, uh, well, other Iowa State topics. And we come back as we take you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 14 seconds solve hunger. This is Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard, and you're listening to Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Thank you to Zuba Mahente. Used to work for our next guest, John Walters. Good to talk to you, John. Zubin said to say hi, by the way. How are you? Yeah, please please do the same next time you're talking to him. I should actually just do that myself, pick up the phone and give him a call. But uh, one of the truly tremendous people I've ever worked with. And uh, 
I just really value his friendship. He's a, he's a tremendous guy. He really and truly is. I'm very fortunate to have him on as often as we are. And uh, the fact that he kind of uh, stays, not loyal is not the right word, but doesn't forget that he passed through Des Moines. I think that says a lot about him, especially where he's at right now. Uh, of course, there's some huge news coming out of Ames today, John, and that Matt, uh, that's that uh, Jamie Pollard, Matt Campbell got together, extended uh, Coach Campbell's uh, current contract by another year. Apparently, there's been nothing uh, pursuant to the terms other than the length of it, but it uh, sounds as though there might be a little something in there for some of his staff as well, which is really good. Good news for Iowa State football fans today. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a very appropriate coming out of the break to have uh, Jamie Pollard bring us back from the break and, and with Tom Petty singing, I won't back down. So right. <laughs> uh, there it was. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Jamie's not going to back down. Matt's not going to back down. They're, they're excited about what they have going on here at Iowa State, and they want to keep it rolling. And um, So that is great, great news. And that, it's so important in recruiting because this is such an, uh, an integral part of it, you know, these next couple of weeks before the December 18th early signing date. Um, and the last thing you need is to be affected by some guy who doesn't know what's going on uh, starting to throw out rumors. And, it, it, you know, people take them as gospel, and it's it can really affect you. And I'm sure kids are calling him, asking him questions, and uh, and this is really good to get this taken care of and out of the way. So uh, good news all the way around, and, uh, man, he's done a tremendous job at Iowa State and looking forward to seeing it continue. And you mentioned the staff, and I, I think that's a huge part of it. You know, it's... I think Matt is at a point where um, what's most important to him is that he sees that his staff is taken care of and well compensated for the great job that they do, and um, and I, I'm sure that will be a part of it. You know, Matt Campbell, at least from my outside view of it, doesn't appear to be a guy that likes the spotlight, likes to be at the forefront of things, and he's not a guy out there politicking to get another raise, anything like that. These rumors, though, are something that He's going to have to deal with you. Continue to have success. This is something that's going to be out there every single year. And you figure every single year you're not going to have a contract extension. Do you think this is something that he's going to have to adjust to more, and especially in the recruiting world, get out in front of these stories that are seemingly going to be there every November December? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know how you can get out in front of it because he's not going to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, he's not going to be the guy to bring it up. And so it's very difficult subject you know i mean it's a really hard thing to do mm-hmm. you're absolutely right when you say that it's the last thing he wants to talk about you know and i think jamie pollard has been really good with his timing of talking to Matt and approaching matt at the right time and not coming to him too early or too late um his timing's been good and the relationship is really solid and that's a great starting point and so um you know Matt wants to focus on football and he wants to focus on coaching and, you know, this group of uh, staff that he has, the group of players that he has, maxing them out. Um, and he really, truly does have tunnel vision on that stuff. And you're right. It, it's going to continue to come up every year. And that's just a, a product of having a good coach. Uh, you wouldn't want it any other way than to have coaches that are being talked about. Um, whenever a job opens, people are going to mention his name because he is a strong coach. Yep. And so, uh, that's that's a good problem to have. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's also a good problem to have, John. In my opinion, is yeah, seven and five this year, and he's raised the bar to an extent. Is it's it's actually a debate among Cyclone fans. Was this year disappointing? <laughs> I mean, seven and five. You'd have to go back too many years ago, John. You'd give you know your. I'll clean it up for you because I respect you. But you get where I'm going, right? He's raised the bar that seven and five's a discussion. Is that good or did they underachieve? Think about that. 
Yeah, you're right, Ken. That's a that's a great point, and it's come light years when that is your, you know, when your low point is you didn't play particularly well in your last game. You lost by ten on the road against a team with eight teams that's, you know, really had your number through the years, yeah. and and that's kind of the low point. Uh, you know, it, 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 I can think of some much lower points, uh, seventy to seven to, to Baylor. Baylor, yeah, comes to mind. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's been much much lower points, and so. Yeah, everybody's a little bit disappointed that, you know, this this team um, didn't quite max out, you know, including that. He'll be the first one to say that, that, you know, that they haven't uh, played their best game yet. And at the same time, it's a it's a team that's setting all kinds of records statistically is, you know, still has a chance to win eight games for the third consecutive season for the just the second time in school history and uh, and has some great wins under its belt as well. So. Um, you know, I, I see a lot of young players out there. I'm really excited about the direction it's headed, and I think Matt is too. And obviously, a couple bounces here or there could really change this into a special year. And I don't think there's too many teams in college football that aren't kicking themselves right now for a couple games. I think that's just the nature of the beast. But uh, it's been another good year and another, uh, you know, strong selling point that this program is really moving in the right direction. Well, we will find out the bowl destination on Sunday, but as we uh, all know, there's plenty of politicking going on, trying to talk to the bowl reps and get a positive light for their programs. What do you think is the politicking happening with Jamie Pollard right now? Is it trying to uh, talk to Orlando and, and get that Camping World Bowl? I don't know. I, that, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I think the Camping World Bowl is probably one that's probably a long shot at this point, mm-hmm. just unless you know, Oklahoma or Baylor gets into that mix. You know, if, if one of those schools gets into the playoff, um, then all of a sudden it kind of changes things and everybody really does move up a notch. And um, But I think, you know, with the Camping World Bowl and the, the attraction of a potential Texas-Notre Dame matchup, it's one that's been talked about a lot that could end up being played there. Um, for television ratings, that's such a big yeah. part of the equation with these bowls. You know, it's the the attendance is huge. That's an important thing, and they want a full stadium. And Iowa State would certainly give them that, no question about that. But so would Texas, and Texas also has, um, you know, a more name appeal just in terms of the big picture in their history to be able to say, well, we're pitting two uh, blue bloods against each other if you're the Camping World Bowl. Now, that's not to say that Iowa State's out of the mix for that bowl, but I do think it's more of a long shot. But you know, the other three, you know, you've got. Three teams that are all tied, along with Texas, that you can kind of throw a blanket over all of them, and they can all make a strong argument uh, for why they should be the one selected ahead of the others. But um, I think it's an equal argument, really. They all have good fan bases. They have all have their selling points. And so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, the bottom line is Iowa State fans are going to find out they're headed somewhere on Sunday, and uh, I think they'll respond the way they always do and get to this game and support this team because they're trying to do some special things. John saw some uh, positives come out of Atlantis. That's Seton Hall team, and you'll see him again on Sunday night in just a real fluke of the schedule. Uh, Gil is 7-2, and Mamush Gilishvili, and I'm probably butchered a bit. It's pretty close. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. He's 6-11, I think. And coming off the bench is Samuel, a freshman, and he's 6-10. Uh, that, that's such a, you know, the length of that basketball team is not lost on anybody. But what we saw is we saw Halliburton, and we saw Bolton maybe look like for the first time. Uh, the kid that they thought that uh, they were getting from Penn State. I thought Bolton's tournament was really good. Halliburton was unbelievable. Nixon is locking down defensively. Uh, Even though they didn't bring home the hardware and forgot about Powell on Seton Hall somehow, uh, they did some good things, John. 
Well, I, I definitely agree, and I think they grew as a basketball team in that tournament. And I was talking to Eric Heff last night, and you know he was super impressed with that Seton Hall team. It just thinks they're really, really good. Um, so you know he played some really good competition there. I think the the win against Alabama was certainly an exciting game to watch. You know when you think about uh, a team that was willing to run up and down the floor with Iowa State, you don't get that very often. But when it does happen, it really shines a bright light on Tyrese Halliburton's basketball IQ. He's able to make plays in the open court, offensively, defensively, just getting a flow and a rhythm to the game. And he was just phenomenal in that game. And he was really great the whole tournament. You're right. I loved what Roger Bolton did against Seton Hall, attacking the basket. I, I don't know that there's a player in college basketball that has more end ones than mm. Roger Bolton has. He consistently seems to get to the basket, draw contact, and be able to finish. And so really excited about him. And, no, I think this is the team that still has some growth to do, but is really doing that. They're making growth. And I look at the rest of the non-conference, and they have you know three really good opportunities left with Seton Hall and Hilton Coliseum this Sunday and Iowa coming in the following week. And then eventually in January, they're going to go down to Auburn. You know, and if they could win two out of three out of those non-conference games that are real high-impact games that are remaining, I think it would put them in a great spot if they can go 500. No doubt. 12, but... You know, but they got to get there. I mean, and those are going to be tough, tough wins. But yep. it's jo- going to be fun to see Seton Hall come inside. That's no doubt, awesome John. We're out of time. Thank you, John Walters. Great to catch up with you. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, guys. Good to talk.